Hello everyone, this is Connie Morgan signing in with the bonus impromptu unplanned episode of the Free Black Thought podcast. We at Free Black Thought have lots of Jewish friends and allies, those who are involved in the classical liberal movement both here and in Israel. We don't hide this and are proud of these partnerships. With Israel now at war following the brutal attacks conducted by Hamas, there's been a lot of lies spread with many of you trying to navigate truth versus fiction to the point of near despair. This is a big topic a confusing topic, a complex topic, an issue where all sides accuse the other of lies and deception. It's overwhelming, and many of you in good faith are trying to find answers. So I thought it would be a good idea to have my friend, Pastor Dumasani Washington, CEO and founder of the Institute for Black Solidarity with Israel, back on the podcast a little sooner than expected to lay down some basic facts and hopefully point you in the right direction if you're hoping to educate yourself more on this issue. He is featured on episode two of the Free Black Thought podcast, and in that episode, you can learn more about his personal journey to becoming a Zionist and a leader in the pro-Israel movement. But today's recording is all about Israel. I hope it's helpful. I also hope to bring you some more educational Israel-related content in the near future, but more to follow on that. I pray this episode arms you with the knowledge and resources to speak truth despite what is or isn't being said around you, because remember, there is no such thing as a Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Pastor Dumasani, thank you so much for coming on today. You know, you were one of our first episodes in the season, this first season of the Free Black Thought podcast that hasn't even come to a close yet. And we were going to have you, not going to have you on for probably another year or so, uh, just to know, you know, we make sure we space out your appearances. But given recent events, I needed to bring an expert on. A lot of people are overwhelmed. A lot of people have questions about what's going on in Israel, what's true, what's not true. And so I thought, okay, we just got to make an exception here and bring Pastor Dumasani on sooner than we thought we would, because he's going to be a great guy to sort of unpack some of these things. And so I hope this episode to our listeners can sort of be um, like a not not totally an Israel 101, because that would take days and weeks to cover and would be, you know, thousands of years of history. We're obviously going to be hyper focused on what's going on right now, but I want to give people enough context enough history, enough background, unpack some of the lies, myths, things that are flying around the internet so that people feel like, okay, I have a basic understanding. I'm starting to wrap my head around this. I know where to go next to get more information. I know sort of how to decipher what is truth and what is not truth. I feel a little less overwhelmed and I feel maybe a little more hopeful by the end of this episode. So thank you so much for coming on at the last second to unpack this very complex topic. Connie, no problem. Yes, absolutely. And and I think everybody understands this, right? No matter what your opinion is on what's going on, everybody understands, okay, Israel was attacked by Hamas out of Gaza. It's been really bad. It's been really bloody. Now things are kind of under control there. There aren't terrorists still running around, you know, beheading babies, as we've just recently heard reports of. That kind of violence has stopped within the borders. But can you talk about the timing of this? Holidays, geopolitical timing. Does it have to do with fear of Israel making peace with the Saudis? And this is like a last Hail Mary from Hamas. Why did it happen when it happened, first of all, and to your understanding? Um, Connie, absolutely. Uh, yeah, let's let's dive in. And let me first just say, I need to correct just one thing. Uh, there is not the same height of emergency as Saturday when this actually happened, which is Shabbat, obviously, for our Jewish brothers and sisters in, in terms of Israel, especially. Um, but there are still Hamas operatives 
uh, in the country, uh, both in not just in the southern part, but as you know, Connor, you've been there. It's a tiny country. So they're throughout. So they are still finding them. They're still fighting them. Again, it's not to the same degree that it was on, on Saturday, but it is still a, an issue. Just earlier this morning, we were hearing about that report. So the IDF and the, the Israel Defense Forces and the Israeli police and security are still locating and fighting Hamas uh, terrorists there in the country. Uh, and some of them are still apparently in some of the kibbutz, which is like little communities and everything like that. So they're still, uh, that's still happening. There is, there are even still, um, up until maybe yesterday, still Israelis who are hiding out in their, in their bomb shelters, not just in their shelters, but in other areas, uh, because they know that Hamas uh, operators are still there. Uh, and they're still lurking about. And so this is still an ongoing thing. And then, of course, the Israel, uh, the, the government leaders have been meeting, discussing what the response is going to be. So um, and how how they're doing that. Israel obviously has been striking in terms of hitting targets in Gaza. That's something that they have done in the past. Um, but they are the last uh, report that I saw. There's an article that said some 500,000, half a million Israeli soldiers um, have now amassed. Um, some are at the border of Gaza and other places. And so for people who are listening to this, there's also incursions to the north. Gaza's to the south of Israel, which also borders Egypt. Uh, Hezbollah is the terrorist arm of Iran. All of this is Iran. Let me say this. First of all, whether we're saying Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, or Hamas, uh, the listeners need to understand all of them, their major funders, donors are Iran, right? So this is a war of Iran against Israel and Iran against much of the Arab world, right? People don't understand this. Iran is a mortal enemy of Saudi Arabia, for example. So you have all that happening at the same time. Um, yes, the timing of it. Wait, real not, quick, real quick, Pastor yes, Josani. Sure, those sure. those um, Hamas militants that are still in the country, are they just kind of laying low right now and sort of like, because they know that the IDF and the police are coming or are they still actively attacking and brutalizing civilians? So what we see is that it's, it's a little bit of both, Connie. They are in hiding and they're being ferreted out. Uh, but from what we have seen, and again, this is, as you know, fog of war, right? When right. there's so much is going on, information is coming. From what we've seen, they're still fighting, right? They're actually holed up in certain areas uh, exchanging fire with Israelis. Uh, we believe that wherever they're exchanging fire from some of those locations, there are civilians that obviously that are trapped there as well. So to answer your question, all of the above, okay. right? They're hiding and they're also have been found, but there's, they haven't been, now many have been killed. They've killed some that are in the country, obviously. And then they're headed to Gaza to, to ferret out, like I say, even more, but yes, all of those things are happening at the same time. Uh, Connie, and it's just, I, I, uh, obviously, again, for all the listeners, and if you follow any type of war correspondence or those types of things, or for those of you who are military, which I am not, right, Connie, I know that you are, those of you who served, whether you served on the field or whether you served in other areas, you have an experience that those of us who have not done it have don't have. But what we all share is that we try to get as much information as we can. Sometimes that information is wrong. Uh, sometimes there are propagandists that are feeding wrong information, right? You have all these things happening at the same time. Um, all that having been said, what's going on in Israel, and I've talked to many Israeli friends, obviously, uh, we can't even wrap our heads around it. The, 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 not just the deaths. The deaths passed 1,000. They're at about 1,200 now. Uh, most of those deaths are women and children, right? I believe there's 60-plus soldiers, 100-some-plus uh, that were actually uh, uh, kidnapped into Gaza, 
they are with those reports of them, especially the soldiers being beheaded, like ISIS. And again, it's the same mentality, Hamas, Hamas, ISIS, Boko Haram in Nigeria and other parts of Western Africa. It's the same type of jihadist mindset uh, that's there. And this is what's happening there in Israel now. And so it was launched at, those of you aware of this part of the Middle East history, the Yom Kippur War of 1973 was on the, the Jewish feast of Yom Kippur, which was the early part of October. I believe it was the 6th or 7th. It just so happens that 6th or 7th, 7th was when this war started or this new wave of fighting in which Hamas in large numbers infiltrated the country and all this death and mayhem has happened. Uh, though it was not Yom Kippur, those of you again aware of calendar, the, the, the Jewish calendar, so to speak, is a has a different format than the Gregorian calendar. So it was not Yom Kippur, but it fell on the same date on the on the Gregorian calendar, around 7th of October. Uh, so it was the 50th anniversary to the calendar day. And so that was not happenstance. That was one of the worst, if not the worst war that Israel has ever faced. 1973 is when it was. Some 2,600 Israelis were killed. Uh, they were facing Syria and Egypt and some of the same culprits that they had been facing since the Arab-Israeli wars that began in 1948. So um, we, it, it's, it seems pretty obvious, even to the, the person just observing that the terrorists, backed by Iran, right? This is Iran is doing this, chose that date because of the significance. And I also want to say this too, in terms of the Jewish religion, Judaism, it was the it was the pinnacle of joy of what's called the High Holy Day season, right? High Holy Day season is in succession Rosh Hashanah, which is Yom, uh, which is the beginning of the new year, Yom Kippur, the holiest day on the calendar, and then the Feast of Tabernacles. And at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, that eighth day is a holy assembly, and they are actually also celebrating the new cycle of the Torah. It's called Simcha Torah, the joy of Torah, in which there's joy and laughter and singing, and there's Torah scrolls and rabbis and the whole thing, all that was squashed. That was squashed because this was done, not squashed in terms of the joy of the people they, they and, and their faith, but it, obviously in terms of the celebration itself, you have death and bombs, all those things are happening. So this is, it's, it's very clear that the enemies, is Israel's enemies meant this on that day for this purpose. So this is a question that I have because people have said, you know, because it's a holiday, you know, the military bases are understaffed because of holidays. The United States military does the same thing. We, we, you know, during Christmas, fewer soldiers around during Thanksgiving, people go home, blah, blah, blah. But if you're the enemy, that's obviously the best time to attack. That's, this is not the first time, you know, it won't be the last that the Jews are attacked on one of their holidays. So why do they understaff during, if anything, it seems like you would want to, I've wondered this about the United States military too. Why why don't you keep your staff at least at normal levels during the holidays? Um, I, do you have any insight as to why that is? Connie, I can. What insight I can share is that what you just touched on, not just in terms of the holidays, but the actual security, um, is probably the most controversial aspect of what's happening. Um, not just to the degree of the lower numbers who seem to be guarding sensitive areas, but just in general, right? Israelis now, uh, both on a political level and just in the civilians and everyone, 
are asking these questions, right? Even with our organization, we have not really touched it publicly just because it's so much swirling around. They, they say it this way, to this day, 50 years later, they still talk about the Yom Kippur War. Connie, you know, we were all at the Golan Height area and we talked about that. We saw some of the tanks that were still there that were yes. destroyed during that time, right? And it was such a strategic event the young soldiers in Israel are taken to some of those areas and they're explained, they're, they're told what happened, how it happened, Egypt and Syria and all those types of things. They're going to be talking about what happened here for the next hundred years, right? Because, and one of those reasons is because there seemed to be such a lapse in Israel. Israel, one of, if not the most sophisticated, most technologically advanced military in the world by necessity, right? That you have as many enemies as they have in that tiny strip of land and you have all these enemies that are surrounding them as from the Bible days till now, you have to be pretty good at kicking butt, right? You, you have to be, right? You can't just sit there and get beat on and have a Holocaust after Holocaust. You're not going to exist anymore, right? So that this happened and that Hamas just seemed to just waltz in, right? I'm, not, I'm saying that because I don't want to offend anybody who just, they're Israelis saying, my God, what? And not only that, Israelis calling for security and waiting four, five, six hours before someone shows up. This is very, very, again, that's, that's all the insight I can give. In other words, I don't know why. There's lots of speculation, right? Uh, and shout out to Caroline Glick, one of my Friends and colleagues out there, if you ever want to go, I recommend someone. If you want to go further, she has a podcast, the Caroline Glick Show, spelled just like it's yep, sounds. I listened to it yesterday. Uh, go on there. Did you? Yes, ma'am. Absolutely, mm -hmm. Ch check it out. She talks about it, and there's some others that are out there as well. Um, so I would I would encourage those who want to do a deeper dive, check that out. Check out those Israeli sources because there are Israelis themselves asking the very question Connie just asked. What? happened? Why? why? Why are the staffing levels there? What was the situation in terms of security that Hamas was able to just seemingly come in? They even, uh, they use hang gliders, right? To come yeah. into the festival and once they killed so many of those people, right? So where, where, where was the security? That question is being asked quite a bit. Uh, okay. So can you talk about the, the geopolitical timing of this? What are the, are, are, what are the other motivations besides, Hey, it's a holiday. We, this is when we like to attack. What other timing, what other elements kind of influenced that we're doing it now? Uh, almost all of those questions, Connie. And when you introduced me, you called me expert. I don't, I don't consider myself <laughs> an expert. I have, I have a lot of experience watching this and discussing it, right? There's some people out there much, much uh, uh, more uh, adept at it than me, but we, we try to keep ourselves abreast as an organization. But ha having been said, after having watched this for years and with other organizations and discussions and all those things, the answer to most of those questions that have to do with what's happening and why would have to do with Iran, right? Mm -hmm. Iran is the, the Islamic... Now, again, and I want to make this very, very clear, I, neither I nor our organization is referring to the Iranian people. Um, even right now, there, there, there are... I just got a call, short version, uh, just yesterday from a, a friend of the Persian Jewish, Iranian Jewish community down in LA, wanting to do an event that's a pro-Israel event, both the Christian and the Jewish Persian community. Sometimes we use that term you know, interchangeably, right? Mm -hmm. The Iranian Jewish community. So the Iranian people, by and large, are very, very pro-Israel. By and large, right? Now, not everyone, I was a person, right? So we're talking about the Ayatollah regime that came in in 1979 after the deposing of the Shah of Iran, Right. Unfortunately, uh, there's also controversies. Well, there, there was during the Carter administration. There's a lot of 
backlash against his administration because of the role and perceived role that the Carter administration played in helping the Ayatollahs come to power, right? At the very least, maybe not doing enough to support the government that was there, right? So that was what, 50 years ago almost, right? This regime is committed to worldwide Islamist rule. This is not a game. This is not me being some sort of Islamophobe and all those other silly things. This is just what they say, right? When they, if you've ever, those of you who've never seen it before, Google Iran, death to Israel, death to America, and watch them, right? I mean, you'll have these rallies and these meetings of thousands of people with the Ayatollahs, and they'll say it in Farsi, uh, and there'll be the subtitles are there. They'll say death to Iran, death to America, death to, I mean, death to Israel, death to America, death to Israel. They've been saying this for decades. None of mm-hmm. this is new, right? Mm-hmm. So for them, they call, is for this is the Iranian leaders. Israel is the little Satan. America is the great Satan, mm-hmm. right? So what they mean is that in order for them to conquer the world, they're going to start with Israel and they're going to move on to the West. And again, for those of you who are saying, oh, that's just the Western world. No, they mean the rest of the world, right? They are Shia Muslims, which is a separate sect. It's a minority sect as opposed to the Sunni Muslims, mm-hmm. which is most of the Islamic world. And the Sunni Muslims, guess what? They include Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Morocco, you name it, right? So Iran, in their minds, destroy Israel. Never going to happen. I happen to believe the Bible. Well, they destroy Israel, right? Mm-hmm. Destroy the U.S. and destroy anyone else who's not a part of their mindset. And that includes the Arab world. And to your point, yes, they are very intimidated by the fact that Israel and Saudi Arabia are talking something unprecedented, the further extension of the Abraham Accords of 2020, right? And so Israel and Saudi Arabia, according to news reports, are having substantive conversations. And just before this attack on Saturday, it looked like we were all going to see some sort of done deal between Saudi Arabia, which is the seat of power in the Arab world and the Jewish state of Israel. Okay, so a couple things real quickly. I don't you don't need to get into like the differences between the two, but can you talk a little bit about Iran, Shia, everybody else Sunni when they get when they get together and when they fight? Like cuz that's yes. confusing a lot of people. Like I thought they were enemies, but then they work together sometimes. Yes. They fund each other. Yes. I and again, not an expert in that, but I will tell you yes, the Shia is the minority sect and they they align with uh, a, another uh, imam, you know, they again not to get all the, into the weeds, right? Uh but the the rest of them if a more of and I can use this term an orthodox uh Islam would be the Sunni in terms of their beliefs, right? They far outnumber the Shia. And they have been warring for for centuries, right? This is not a new thing, right? This has been going on for a long time. Uh You're talking about together, ideology. Shia and Sunni warring. Warring against each Yes, other. together. Yeah. Warring each other. Right. This has been an intra-Islam fight for a very, very, very long time. Uh, what has happened more and more in the modern era, and again, I, and this is my opinion, I might be wrong about this, but particularly since the Islamic Republic came to power, again, again, which was, again, 1979, um, there are times when they would come together, right? And here's what's really interesting and people thought this a few years ago there's there's no way that iran would work with hamas hamas is sunni and iran and shia all those days are over right Mm -hmm. so what they've decided is look you know what one thing we do agree on we hate those jews (laughs) we hate israel's we hate all these other infidels so let's come together and no joke you got even if they were able to accomplish it they would turn on each other right that would be the next thing right right right. after they eliminate israel then the infighting would begin yeah 
Exactly. It would, it would resume in that way. And so what happens is that Iran, and this is all, people can check this out as well. Iran is what is known in political or geopolitical speak as the world's number one state sponsor of terror. What does that mean? That there's no other actor on the planet over the last 40 years, since 1979, right? 40 plus years. That is more responsible for terrorism around the world. Uh, Iran's uh, royal, uh, it's called the uh, military guard. It's the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. That's their main military. And also Hezbollah, Hezbollah, which I believe means army of God. It's another terrorist group. They have cells, Connie, as you know, already all over the world, Mm -hmm. especially in Latin America and North and South America. Yes, all over the United States. They've been there for a long time. None of this is new whatsoever. Right. And they also fund, regardless whether Shia or Sunni, they fund other terrorist groups. Um, that are either aligned with what they're wanting to do in terms of destabilizing and destroying those societies. Okay. Yeah. I think that that's causing a lot of confusion because people are like, well, if Shia is the minority, why are Shia like the most financially powerful? They're the ones yes. running Iran. It's like the minority yes. is running the whole group, which is a unique dynamic. Yes, absolutely. Well, and again, to that point, uh, let's go here too. And after, after I take a breath, Connie, because you know, as as a pastor, and you know, I can get all hype. You you've seen us with Dipsy. I'm yelling, I'm trying to bring it in, right? Um, Iran is the number one state sponsor of terror, ladies and gentlemen, and the number one funder of Iran is guess who? The United States of America. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying us as a people because neither Connie nor I have contributed to the Iran fund, right? That's not what's going on, right? But the U.S. government, according to this last one of the last reports in that Washington Free Weekend, and you all can Google this as well, Senator Ted Cruz and some other lawmakers have assessed that the United States, the Biden administration, has either by uh, sanctions relief, illegal oil um sales, because Iran has oil, uh, and then also payments, the United States is responsible for some $45 billion. We are on pace for $45 billion to Iran this year. That's 2023. This is only October, right? So he's on, we're on pace to have released in some form or another to Iran some $45 billion. Now, you know what? I ain't the smartest kid in the classroom, but I can do a little bit of math, right? If you're talking about the number one state sponsor of terror, that are already funding terrorism all over the world. Actually, everyone who's listening, Africa is the number one destination according to the Global Terrorism Index last year. It shifted from Middle East to Africa, right? So the, the terrorism, much of the terrorism that happens globally is happening from the coffers of Iran. And where is Iran getting much of that money? Much of that is facilitated in some form by the U.S. administration. And, that, and, and, and for those who are the partisans on there listening, to get, you know, don't get your panties in a bunch. It's just true, right? This has nothing to do with Democrat or Republican. And unfortunately, right, it went to turbo boosters during the Obama administration, right? It tapered off during the Trump administration. It, it, it took wings again. And again, for those who know, if you, I don't care if you hate Trump, love Trump. This is not about which president. It's actually about our policies. Our policies are actually driving this globally. So what happened? So for those of you who are listening, if you take it like this, if you've seen some of those horrific images of Hamas, there in Israel, and I mean, I wouldn't recommend looking at them a whole lot. I mean, obviously, don't let your kid. I mean, there's yeah. blood and gore and everything, mm-hmm. right? 
what Hamas just did. Okay, look at it like this. Hamas is the sword. Iran is the, is the terrorist holding the sword. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What just happened in Israel, Iran has a vision for that to happen everywhere so they can be a global power and control. I, I know it sounds like something that's some sort of dastardly novel or some sort of, you know, a, this is real. Yeah. And what happened to our Israeli brothers and sisters is what they want to happen to you and me. Yeah. And not to, not to fear monger. And there's so many different directions we could go. I, I want to get into like the kind of the politics of it. Talk a little bit about the Abraham Accords, that kind of thing. But I want to set the foundation for who are the people in Gaza? Like there's innocent, you know, there's all this talk about there's innocent Palestinians, the people, right? Like you and talking about, there's the innocent people that are just there. They're being brutalized by the leadership. There's Hamas who is, don't care about the people, but then some of the people, it's also, I think a fault, maybe you can correct me, but it's also a false narrative that all the people living in Gaza and all the Palestinians are just innocent and don't support the government. Hamas was elected as the leadership though. Are their elections fair and free? Eh, you know, and then once you're elected, you just kind of stay in power. Do they have ongoing elections after that? There's a lot going on. So in Gaza, and maybe we should go back to 2005, 2006, when Israel gave Gaza, handed Gaza over. Um, who is there? And what are the different factions of power? And how are the people being treated? And, and one more thing, and, and if it. I have to repeat some of this later, it's fine. I know this is a lot. But so who's in power? How are they treating the people? Mm -hmm. How innocent are the people? That's something even I'm struggling with because I know plenty right. of the population there actually do support Hamas. Are they yes, brainwashed absolutely. and stuff? Probably. Have they been raised as children? Have some of them been as children taught to, you know, be evil? Sure. But right. how do I right. actually navigate who's innocent and who's not? I, I, every one of those questions is so crucial. So yeah, you help me if I get lost. You yeah. can show me where I'm supposed to be, right? Because I want to start with actually what happened, right? So in 2005, under then Prime Minister Ariel Sharon, every Jewish man, woman, and child was extracted from Gaza, right? Now, why were they in Gaza? Well, the original partition of land that goes back to the 1947 partition Israel did not have access to Gaza. They didn't have access to Jerusalem or Judea and most of Judea and Samaria. That happened after a 1967 war. But after a series of conflicts, Israel wound up with more territory, not because it was wanted more territory or, I mean, was trying to expand in that sense, but because it kept defending itself against the aggressors, right? So at some point, it finds itself with Gaza um, and things are getting worse and worse. So the prime minister and the leadership decide what we're going to do. Now, I say decide. This was a very contentious decision. Israelis, that's why I told the organization we don't criticize Israeli government or any government if we don't need to uh, publicly because Israelis have a, they do a really good job of that on their own. They don't need anybody's help, right? <laughs> so there was a lot of argument and fighting and weeping and gnashing of teeth as they moved. And people can Google that as well, right? So they, they, they took all the, the Jewish people out of Gaza and they gave it over to the Arab Palestinians, right? At that time, Connie, this was 2005, there was a shared government between Fatah, which is the military wing of the Palestine Liberation Organization, which was Yasser Arafat's group, and Hamas, which actually, I believe, was born around 1990-something as part of the Muslim Brotherhood. And, and so there's it's a different faction, a little bit more radical, if you will, both terrorists, unfortunately, but a little mm -hmm. more radical. Well, what happened was there was infighting. Surprise, surprise, right? 
Hamas wins the fight by killing Fatah or shooting them in the kneecap so that they can't move them. I mean, it was a horrific thing, throwing people off of rooftops, right? Same thing. This, week, this, this was Arab-Palestinian on Arab-Palestinian violence, right? Fatah flees from Gaza. Many of them who are wounded go to Israel where the Israeli doctors put them back together, which is a whole other conversation for another day, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And now Hamas, since 2007, has been firmly in control as the single ruling power in Gaza. And what's one of the first things they begin to do, other than destroy all the greenhouses and all that other kind of stuff that the Israelis left, although that was going on a little bit before then, they start launching rockets into Israel. This has been going on, ladies and gentlemen, since 2007, right? Do the math. That's how long. So the world is now more aware of what's happening right now. Before our Israeli brothers and sisters, they've been dealing with this for a long, long time, right? So that's what's happening there. Now, they are a radical sect. According to the polls that have been taken pretty consistently, Hamas enjoys widespread support among the Palestinians in general and in Gaza. The problem is that two things. Number one, these are polls taken often by other Palestinians. So are you really going to say that you don't like something if you're living right. under oppressive rule, right? right? That in the United States, hey, it's not a perfect place, but I can say the Democrats suck, the Republicans suck, and everybody, I can do that all I want. I mean, we're running out of our freedoms, but we can still go on YouTube, we can do whatever yeah. say we want to say for the most part, right? You can't do that in Gaza, right? right. I'm going to come back to where the people are concerned, right? So the polls, what do those polls mean when 70 plus percent say that they are in favor of Hamas? Okay, maybe that's exactly what it means, maybe it's not. But again, how can we really tell? But yes, by and large, they enjoy widespread support from the people, right? Mm-hmm. So, and even in the West Bank, which is Judea and Samaria, many of them prefer Hamas over the current government there, which is the Palestinian Authority, right? Mm-hmm. So that's absolutely true, right? Uh, the other part of that, though, Connie, is that for that other percentage, I mean, how brave do you have to be to register a no a, a no confidence vote on that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. If it's 70-something plus percent, that means a good 20% of people was like, nah, I'm cool with a mind. I'm like, right? So, okay, so yeah. that means they were brave enough. And that's the other part of it, too. So I, I hope I'm trying to, to give a broad picture here. There are people in Gaza, now not dealing with the West Bank, just Gaza, for years, and we've been as an organization tracking this and following this, who have protested the regime of Hamas. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to really understand, we're talking about a brutal regime, honor killings of women who... Their hair is out. They're out without their brother or their father. And I mean the stoning straight up, like not, no trial, just, you know, death to you. Uh, there was a certain amount of, of uh, boy, what was that other thing? Um, I, it, it's escaping me right now. Some sexual, other sexual violence being perpetrated on the, on the young ladies there. Um, there is all kinds of rules. These, I mean, these draconian things. If you're caught playing music and celebrating, Hamas agents will come. And shut it down. And I'm not talking about shut it down like being with a billy club. Shooting people, killing people, right? No problem. So that, and there's, and I can go on list. In my, in my book, Zionism and the Black Church, I give a pretty long list of the types of Palestinian human rights abuses that happen to those people all the time, all day, every day. The media doesn't talk about it a lot because they can't talk about Israel because it has nothing to do with Israel. It has everything to do with their leaders, right? So this is the oppressive rule. And yes, Connie, you use the word brainwash. Yes, there's, those who are listening, go and Google Hamas TV or go to YouTube and, Google, and type in Hamas TV and watch. Kid-style programs like Teletubbies, like Sesame Street, and with these 
people dressed up in these little bee outfits and everything like that with little kids, four, five years old, on their stage and on their set, talking about kill the Jew, kill the Zionist. When I grow up, I want to be a Hamas agent so I can go and kill all the, the Yehudi, the Jews, kill the Zionists. These kids are brainwashed with this from the same way your kid might rock Blue's Clues or whatever. Boom, you click it on. That's how it's drilled in. That's the other thing when you talk about a poll. Okay, if you're taking a poll for people who've been fed a healthy diet of that since they were little bitty toddlers, you're probably going to get a kill the Jews, right? That's, and again, that doesn't excuse people who are killing the Jews. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying you got to understand or at least try to wrap our brains around the level of, 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 of brainwashing that's there. All that having been said, Connie, there are people in Gaza who have been brave enough to protest their government. If you really understand what I'm saying, everyone, you know you're going to get tortured, arrested, killed. And by the thousands, ironically, I posted this on my Twitter just a little while ago yesterday, about two months before this invasion, the earlier part of August, there was yet another protest, a mass protest of Gazans in the streets protesting. What were they protesting? The despotic rule. They wanted better jobs because they're very poor. Hamas is very rich. Ladies and gentlemen, according to Forbes, they are the third wealthiest terrorist organization on the planet. Forbes magazine, mm -hmm. third wealthiest terrorist organization on the planet, right? So they're very poor, the people are. The education is very, very bad. So, Connie, those people were protesting very much like you would see somebody protesting in the United States who are living in an economically depressed, you know, lots of crime, right? They're, 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 the difference is that the people of Gaza protested, knowing full well that Hamas will shut it down, kill them. This is one mom after one of the protests. She was crying because her son, who's about 14 years old, was abducted. She didn't know where he was. He's probably dead, right? This would happen. Two years ago, Connie, there was another wave of protests and the hashtag in Arabic, we want to live, was trending, it, once again, in Arabic. And what was happening is that they were, and they're still doing this, going on rickety boats in the Mediterranean, trying to make it up to Europe, right? Putting their lives in danger, running away from Hamas. These are people, as well as those who will speak truth to power. A young man about a year or two ago, I guess during the war, I guess of May 2021, went on Facebook and said something. Uh, uh, he, he said something uh, disparaging or something critical of Hamas. They went there and they arrested him, knowing full well that was going to happen. Another young man actually was talking with other Israelis about some sort of conversation they could have together. He went and had that conversation. He got arrested, right? So the people in Gaza, unlike the people in Israel, uh, if you want to protest their government or not the people in the United States or any other democracy, they can't simply protest. And when they do, it is huge, which is why our organization will try to amplify their voices. They are taking their lives in their hands, right? Whether they consider themselves pro-Israel, and let me say this very clearly, those of you who may be listening, you, when I'm for Palestine, and you can be for Palestine, right? I'm just saying if you're going to be real, here's what you have to ask yourself. If you've never heard of the fact that there are people in Gaza who have protested their own government to their own potential demise. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, if you're so pro-Palestinian, why have you never heard of Gazans actually protesting Hamas, knowing full well that they were going to be killed? The answer mm -hmm. to that question is the media is uninterested, the international community is uninterested, but if there's a clash with Israel, oh my God, stop everything. Israel just had a fight with Hamas. That's where we are right now.
So when these folks in Gaza want to escape their 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 government, and, and you you mentioned getting on rickety boats and and sailing away, but there's another element to that too that doesn't get talked about, which is, you know, there's this expectation that basically Israel should, I don't know, provide whatever support for them. But what about the surrounding? I mean, Egypt is right there, but as I understand it, the surrounding countries don't want the Palestinians either. So is is that true? And why does that not get the coverage? Nobody ever talks about that. Well, why doesn't Egypt just take them? Why doesn't Jordan just take them? Why doesn't, right. why do they, why are the, they stuck there in Gaza? It, it, Gaza is blockaded between on its Israel border and on its Egyptian border. And let me address that, Connie, as you're asking the question, what about the other nations? Because that's a broader thing too. I'll come right back to that one. The blockades, ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever heard the term, Gaza is an open air prison. Yes and no, right? This again, this is a, yes, there are blockades and there are security checkpoints going in and out of the, of the region. That's mainly because terrorists control the region. And again, we've already learned this in this class today. And where does that money come from? Iran, right? Mm -hmm. So both Egypt and Israel have strict uh, borders, if you will, there because of all the mayhem that resides there in the area. Um, uh, Egypt Egypt treats, treats them worse than a stepchild, right? And so I'll come back to that in one more second, right? And it's also blockaded uh, in on the sea because Gaza is on the Mediterranean Sea. So the Israeli ships also patrol there as well. Why? Because the weapons and concrete that's used to build tunnels that go underground, all that stuff is coming from different ways, whether through land or on the sea, and Israel has to make sure that things are going into the country like it is really food, it is really medicine, like any other country, right? Mm -hmm. They have to have that security there, which is what Egypt does as well. Egypt will at times just close it. I believe they just opened it for the first time in a long time, about a several months ago, right? They'll just be like going, yeah, you know what? Mm, you can just stay over there on that side of it, right? And what has happened? Hamas have come across over there and started killing Egyptians, right? So this is not... Just an Israel-Gaza type right. of thing, right? So, Connie, the other part of it, and again, I, I know there's a lot of information for everyone, but I mean, and, and, and that, but obviously you can listen and check it out. The Palestinian people, which unfortunately that term was weaponized by Yasser Arafat, right? Uh, these are Arabs or who have, may have been Syrian descent or Egypt, Egyptian descent, but have a distinct nationality now when it comes to the Palestinians. Throughout the Arab world, they are treated like Jim Crow South. The, the Palestinians in Syria have been slaughtered by the thousands since Syria's civil war, I believe back in 2013, got jumped off again. And now I'm talking about hundreds of thousands. About a year ago, half a million Palestinians in Syria were killed. You don't hear about it again because it's not Israel's fault, right? Israel didn't do, had nothing to do with it, right? Palestinians in Egypt, Palestinians in Saudi Arabia, they, Connie, through much of the Arab world, if you as a Palestinian found yourself in those countries, I'm talking about straight up Jim Crow, you can't have certain jobs. You and your kids can't go to certain schools. You Seriously, you are relegated to second-class cities. I don't care how bright and how, how gifted you are. You are a Palestinian and you are like a black person in the Jim Crow South. That's how the Arab world treats 
Arab Palestinians. Again, it doesn't get talked about because for the anti-Semites and the folks who have been so indoctrinated with Israel hatred, they'll only focus on what's happening in Israel. And let me say this, 20% of Israel's population is Arab, has been since the state of Israel was founded in 1948, both Muslim and Christian. They, they enjoy full rights. They serve in the military. They're on the Supreme Court. You name it, right? Is it a perfect uh, uh, society? Any of you who would say that way, show me a perfect nation and then you and I can compare Israel to it, right? right? But it is free, right? It is free as a Muslim, as a Christian, as a Connie, can I just do a quick aside real quick? Yeah. Just real quick. There was this video that was going viral of these Christians being uh, spit at uh, by uh, Orthodox Jews in Israel. This was doing the whole Feast of Tabernacles. And another one that went viral of these, these women who were trying to share the gospel, what our Jewish friends would say, tried to convert. And it was going viral because the kids were kind of talking mean to those ladies and all this kind of thing. And the, and the spitting was where they spit at these Christians who had these crosses. They were going to be marching, I guess, probably doing this during the, uh, uh, maybe the Via Della Rosa may have been where it was near or other part of, of Jerusalem. And yeah, those things are bad, right? You have that kind of stuff that happens. It's, it's a very, very, uh, it, it, the optics are really, really bad. Ladies and gentlemen, those are isolated incidents in a country of 9 million people where Christians and Muslims and Jews, you know what? I can think of some cities and some areas in the United States of America where Christians are treated pretty badly. Things are said to him. Then politically, can we speak? Can I get a little political for a moment? How about the crisis pregnancy centers that have been firebombed that nobody's even talked about, right? right? Mm -hmm. So we can talk about that. Here we are in a free nation and sometimes there's religious violence, if you will, yeah. right? So this, and where Israel's concerned, the spitting thing was bad, the kids yelling, at it, but that, that's what people were sharing it. Look at these Jews. Are you kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This is a video of this particular situation, but you know what? There's a Christian population that's thriving and growing in number. If Israel was a place of religious repression, why are there so many different faiths in the Jewish state? Right. And this is how often people kind of get pulled into the, to the propaganda. You all don't buy that stuff. Don't buy it. Yes, ma'am. I'm sorry. And, and to, to your point, a lot of different faith, faith backgrounds in Israel. How many faith backgrounds are in Gaza or the West Bank? You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Bethlehem, the birthplace of Jesus. Honey, well, we, all, we all had lunch that day. Yeah. Everything. It is ruled by the Palestinian Authority. The Christian population there has dwindled over the last couple of decades. And what happens is people will say that, Bethlehem, where happened to all the Christians? They will say that either not knowing or deceiving people that somehow that was Israel. Because you think it's Bethlehem. Clearly, that's Israel. That's Jesus and Mary and mm -hmm. Joseph, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Problem is the, the Palestinian Authority controls Bethlehem, which is why the Christian population has been dwindling because they face all kinds of religious persecution there. And many of them try to make application to become Israeli citizens because you have a list of, of Palestinians who live in the West Bank who want to be Israeli citizens for all of these reasons, right? Or they wind up just leaving altogether. I was in the West Bank. I was in uh, Bethlehem back in February of this year. We were interviewing people. And one gentleman we were talking to owns one of the shops that was there. He's been there all of his life, probably in his 70s or 80s. He, he couldn't get around very well. And even in his own store, we talked for a while. He has two sons, both of them who live abroad. One lives in the Mediterranean, like Greece somewhere, someone lives somewhere else. And he said they, they found their fortunes and he misses them and his grandchildren. He said, but they're never going to come back because they're free there. I, my heart just broke, right? This man is talking about his kids and his grandkids. 
and he misses them, but he knows why. I mean, they might visit from time to time. He says they're never going to move back here as long as there's no freedom here. Now, again, ladies and gentlemen, he wasn't raising, waving an Israeli flag. He wasn't singing Amisrael Chai, none of that. What he was saying is that we live under a repressive rule. My kids have left and they found their lives in other places, right? And it had nothing to do with Israel. He was talking about the Palestinian Authority. This is, again, a reality that doesn't get talked about because of other agendas where the media is concerned. All right. So let's talk about actually Palestinian. You've, you touched mm -hmm. on it a little bit. That term doesn't actually refer to a nation or an ethnicity. It's more, what's the history of it? It refers to a geographical area and how it used to be used to describe Jews and now it's changed. Yes, yes let's yes. start there. Absolutely. So the ancient root of the term Palestinian is the word uh, Philistia, uh, which is actually means Philistine. Um, yes, those of you know your Bible, that, that group of people, they actually, and it's so funny, Philistia actually means invader. That's what the little term, the term means, right? So Palestine is the Greek, is from the Greek Palestina, which is what the Romans renamed Judea back in 135 AD. Yes, I just went back 2000 years ago, right? The Romans destroyed what was then Jerusalem and, and Judea, right? They destroyed the second temple in 70 AD, but the last revolt that the Jews staged against the Romans was between 132 and 135 AD, right? We're talking about the, now the second century, right? The Romans won that fight, destroyed what we knew as Judea, although it's still Judea, uh, Emperor Hadrian plowed it with a yoke of oxen, as the history says, and he renamed the region Syria Palestina after the Syrians and the Philistines, two of the arch enemies of the Jewish people. Right? Again, now for those who are getting emotional, I'm not saying that the, Philist the, the Palestinians are not a people now, but I'm just giving you the history of where that word comes. It's not an Arabic word, right? As a matter of fact, there's no P in Arabic, right? So there's the, the, the there's this this was a Greek word from the other word Philistia, right? So Palestine is what the region was known as for almost two thousand years, and a Palestinian up until recently, I say recently, I'm talking about the 1960s, right? Yeah. Was known as a Jew from that region, right? Because they changed it from Judea, right, to Palestine or Philistine, as we said, right? So when the Zionist, the modern Zionist movement under people like 30, Theodore Herzl and others began in the 1850s and 1800s, let's say, uh, to then reclaim a homeland, it had been called Palestine for a lot, as you can see, ladies and gentlemen, for, for centuries, right? So Zionism, it, the word Zion is a biblical term, but the whole modern term of Zionism really just simply meant the homeland of the Jewish people, right? A reclaiming of the homeland, as I talk about in my book as well. Malcolm X referred to Zionism in a positive way. Yes, he had a lot of negative things to say about Zionism. Yes, he did. But he also said that Zionism and Pan-Africanism were similar, that for, the, for people of African descent, Pan-Africanism would do what Zionism did for Jewish people of Jewish descent around the world. It was his quote, and I actually quoted it in my book as well, and others as well. So that term, Connie, got weaponized 
during the time of the Palestine Liberation Organization, right? And that the PLO was founded in 1964. It is a KGB disinformation thing. Again, we have all the receipts, right? The KGB, according to KGB agents who defected and came to the West, the Palestine Liberation Organization was conceived as an organization by the Soviet Union. By 1969, the now the president is Yasser Arafat, who's also not from the region. He was born and raised in Egypt, attended Cairo University, right? But he sure did hate the Jews. The KGB recruited him, and he began to use the word Palestine and words like liberation to denote that the Jews stole the land. Yes, if you've been duped by that thing, that is a disinformation. I, again, I, I'm not trying to be me. I'm just trying to cut to the chase, right? That whole free, free Palestine comes from that playbook. It denotes that somehow there are Arabs living in the region, minding their own business, right? And then these Jews who are quote unquote fake Jews left Germany and left other parts of Europe, came with modern weapons, just like the colonizers did in other parts of the world, killed those people, took their land. None of that is true. Absolutely none of that is true. There's wars and everything, but the wars, as I've showed you before, were almost always started by the Arab people. When I say almost always, 1967's war, Israel preempted and struck Egypt only because they knew that they were getting ready to strike them, right? Mm -hmm, you got five mm -hmm. different nations ready to beat you up. You might want to go ahead and punch somebody in the mouth. If you're going to go down, you'll go down swinging, right? That has been the actual case, right? So Palestine and Palestinians was weaponized by the PLO and Yasser Arafat for the very reason that we are here now. The arguments are there now because, it, okay, for those of you, for example, you notice you've ever heard the term free, free Palestine? Even if you ask somebody to define the region of Palestine, I, if I had the money, I'd give you $100 if somebody could do it for you, right? They'd probably oh, they'll just say, say Israel. Like, They'd be like, Israel. Right. They, Israel. Right. <laughs> Connie, and that's it's just it. They don't recognize that when they're saying stuff like from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Ladies and gentlemen, that means from the Jordan River, which is the border of Israel, to the Mediterranean Sea, which you, there has no more land. That means Jewish genocide from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, means that the entire nation of Israel is Palestine, whether it's Tel Aviv, whether it's Nazareth, whether it was Bethlehem where Jesus was born, all of it is Palestine. This is why you'll have some of the more radical ones like Jeremiah Wright, the pastor out there, out in Chicago, Jesus was a Palestinian. Even that wasn't even as crazy as that is. That wasn't even his original thought. Once again, that was all Soviet disinformation. Why? Because if I can make the Palestinians the true possessors of the land, then the Jews are then the interlopers. They're the ones who came and invaded again. None of that is true. And I'll say this one last thing, Connie. Remember I was saying that the Romans about 2,000 years ago changed the name? There have been Jews who've been living in the land continuously all this time, right? Yes, very much made desolate because most of the Jews were either killed or carted off all of the world, Europe, Africa, and Asia. But there has always been a Jewish presence in the land, even since what the Romans did 2,000 years ago. And words are very important to me. I don't even like to, I'm a person who doesn't like to call myself African-American because I'm like, I'm not African. I'm just American. I haven't had anything to do with Africa in a long time, though. That's, that's a more nuanced title. Um, I like, I don't like to say the black community because I'm like, we don't have a community meeting where we all get together and vote. I'm careful to say the black population or black Americans. 
I don't even like to use the term race because race is an idea made up by racists. Now, when it, so a lot of the times I don't like to refer to those in Gaza and those in the West Bank as Palestinians because of what you just broke down. So then I'm, I'm kind of calling them Arabs because there's Jews that by the original definition are Palestinian as well. And it gets confusing. And I think language and words matter, but a lot of folks in Gaza, a lot of people are pointing this out aren't really Arab either. In fact, you see some of the videos, and I guess it depends on what the definition of Arab is, so maybe you can touch on how you define it, but even some of the videos of these militants doing these awful things, I'm looking and I'm like, that is not an Arab man. That dude is African. <laughs> In the, you know, Egyptians yes. are, are yes. I don't consider yes. Egyptians Arab, if it is an Egyptian person right. or somebody else from, from Africa. Uh, so... Mm-hmm. What where is that? What is that dynamic? What percentage of these Palestinians are actually even Arab to begin with? And what is the right term? Like, what should I even? I'm struggling with that myself. Like, well, a lot of them aren't really Arab. They're not really Palestinian. They're kind of Palestinian, but they're just as Palestinian as the Jews are. So I don't want to use right. that term. Do you just say right. Hamas militant and leave it at that? You know, how do you versus innocent Gazan yes. citizen or you know right. what I yes. mean? No, no, Kanye, you, you make a you make an excellent, excellent point, and the question is very, very uh, crucial because language was unfortunately purposefully confused for this very conflict and in for the broader uh, the region, right? Because that's why I get that whole thing about why why um, Yasser Arafat chose that term, why the KGB chose that term. It was a divisive term. And it's interesting, right? Because it says in Psalm 83 that Israel's enemies would want to wipe its name off the earth, right? That the name of Israel be remembered no more. So when the Romans did what they did, they were actually doing a scripture, right? They, mm-hmm. they didn't realize it themselves, right? And so that's what it is here today, thousands of years later here, we're talking about this in terms of terms. I, over the years, have referred to the people in the region who are Arab as Arab Palestinians. Sometimes that would actually be used as well to denote those people in the region who are actually Arab, right? Mm-hmm. And especially if I'm talking about Gaza or, or Judea and Samaria, the, the West Bank, right? Uh, but yes, people have used many, many different terms and sometimes it's difficult to do. Um, I will use the term, for example, um, and I've seen this for a while, although it's been changing, usually Arabs who are Israeli citizens for a long time preferred to be called Arab Israelis, mm-hmm. right? Or even Israeli Arabs, right? Um, over the last several years, some of them have been calling themselves Palestinian, Israeli Palestinians, right? They've been to some of them to show solidarity with their brothers and sisters in Gaza, right, or with their brothers and sisters in the West Bank. So those terms are still evolving. I would imagine twenty years from now, they're going to they're be using different terms for some of the different people. But as far as in terms of the population, the vast majority of the people whether they're in the West Bank, whether in Gaza, are actually Arab. And again, they descended from Arabs who came particularly during the 19th century as Jews worldwide. Remember the whole Zionist movement thing we're talking about? As they were coming, one of the things what Jews were doing were was buying land, literally buying land from others who may have owned it, right? Some from the fallen Ottoman Empire and it had been in the family for a long time or other uh, Arab families, they would actually go and buy. Now, oftentimes the land they would buy would be swamp land, mar- malaria infested and everything, right? So this was actually happening. And you had some of the Arabs of the region coming to the region, right? From Egypt, from Syria, from Iraq. Those are some of the three main places to work, right? Like anybody would mm-hmm, start mm-hmm. doing construction work, right? They would come to the region 
And that's one of the ways that that Arab population began to grow so much because, ironically, because Jews who were also returning to the region, I told you there's always Jews that were there, Jews, other Jews that were coming to the region were beginning to be build their home. Like, okay, here's the area where you can live. This is where we're going to be, right? This is long before you get to the partition part of it in terms of the, the, uh, the, the United Nations and the Arab side and the Jewish side. And let me pause and say this. I know there's so much history, everyone. You had large populations of Arabs and Jews living in the area, particularly by the time you get to the early part of the 20th century. And there are stretches of time, ladies and gentlemen, where they really did live peacefully, right? There was peace there, right? There's Arabs, there's Jews, and they're Muslim, and they're Jewish, and they're, they're a lot of the same, especially what we call the Mizrahi Jewish community, those that have been for thousands of years in places like Libya and Egypt and everything. You have, there's a lot of connection that are there. Some, some of those Jews in those other regions, their first language was Arabic, not even Hebrew, right? Mm -hmm. so, so you have a lot of that there. So you had lots of of coexistence, to use a word, right? There, unfortunately, those other times of relative peace were interrupted by great violence that was usually Arabs attacking Jews. This also happened with a nationalistic Arab mindset. And for any of you listening, uh, my friend and colleague Hussein, Hussein Abu Bakr, right? I, I probably will do his name injustice as I try to spell it for you. Hussein Abu Bakr. He's on Twitter. I believe he has his own website as well. Um, I'm just throwing him out there because he is a brilliant young man. Uh, Egyptian. He lives in the United States now. He writes, speaks fluent Hebrew, uh, Arabic, and, and English, obviously. Um, he speaks a great deal with great clarity and detail about Arab nationalism. Uh, just really, you, it, I, so I would never be able to even approach his level of, of, of knowledge. But I just want to say the reason I bring him up is that he, Hussein, would bring up this and he'll tweet it at times. He's written about it and everything. Please follow him on Facebook. Or follow him on, uh, well, uh, I don't think he's on Facebook anymore. Facebook kicked him off because he was doing too many peaceful things. No joke. Mm -hmm. That's another conversation for another day, right? Mm -hmm. So he talked about it, Connie. Here's the, the, the irony. As Arab nationalism took hold, there was less and less of a tolerance of other faiths Mm -hmm. other mindsets, right? The Muslim Brotherhood as an organization was founded in 1928 in Egypt. By 1929, what happened in the region of Israel was called the Hebron Massacre. Many believe that it was part of this mindset that was beginning to take hold among the Arab leaders of a more, again, a nationalistic, we as Arabs aren't just in Syria or in Egypt. We are a a, 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 a regional power and people um, who are not really willing to share this area with other people, or at the very least, that we need to really make them know that we are the ones. They had what's called demi laws, right? Later on, demi laws, which goes way back as well. It's like the Jim Crow laws, right? You know, a Jew or a Christian or a a religious minority can't, you know, wear nice clothes, can't eat good food, can't also the kind of stuff. You had this all this kind of mindset, right? So the reason I'm saying all that is that when those waves would come, the Jews would be in trouble. The Habad massacre, some 120 people got killed. What just happened the other day, ladies and gentlemen? That's been going on for a long time. The Hebron massacre was the ancient version of what just happened the other day when Hamas came and was slaughtering Israeli people, right? So this has been the case, which is why there needed to be a partition. The international community said, okay, 
let's just divide the land up here. Jews, this is your part, which was fragmented and tiny. And Arabs, this is your part, right? There's a short version of it, Connie, but this is how the Arab world, uh, Israeli war started. The Jews said, hooray, we have you know, a recognized part. And the Arab world said, heck no, over our dead bodies. That's when the war started, right? This actually started after the partition. And those of you who are listening, partition, if you know, means a pairing, a two, right? A Palestinian state was already voted on. I'm saying it in the air quotes, nobody can see me. But <laughs> Palestine, in their words, there was an Arab section and a Jewish section that the international community voted on. In other words, for those who were squawking about an Arab-Palestinian state, that's what actually the United Nations decided to do. They didn't say, all right, you Arabs, you get out of here. No, they said, okay, let's divide this up. Here's the Jewish side, here's the Arab side, and boom, that's where the fighting got started. Thank you for that. Um clarification and background. And I just want to, I want to clarify that when I said that I saw an African looking gentleman as one of the militants, Hamas militants, I'm not saying the majority of them were, I saw one video with a guy that had it. And then I saw people claiming that a lot of these people weren't Arab, but you've cleared it up. You're right. I forgot about that. Let me do that real quick. Yes. Some of them are, I forgot about that part. So yes, that would mean some of those militants, some of those terrorists were from some other places. And what I also found out from my Persian Jewish friend I don't because I don't speak these other languages. Some of the languages that are heard on the video are Farsi, which means these are Iranian operatives in there with Hamas, proving again that it is Iran who's actually directing this. So much of what you hear is Arabic. Some of what you hear is Farsi because Iran is the major actor. Again, it's like someone sending somebody to go burn down your house. They burn down your house, but the guy who paid them and gave them the kerosene, everything, that guy is living over here. He's the one that's responsible. The guy who did it, yeah, you're mad at him. You want to get him. But the people who actually funded it, that's what Iran is doing. So yeah. yes, ma'am, forgot about that. Thank you, ma'am. Okay, and we will... Wrap it up here. One one last thing, and I don't know if there, you even have the time, so whatever you can say we're about good, this. Good. People, folks have been coming to me and they're like, okay, Connie, my mind is being changed. I'm leaning towards like kind of more of a Zionist uh, philosophy, but I'm just, I'm so confused. Why would the media lie about this? Why would our, why is it so partisan? They're like, how could... The, you're telling me things that makes me think, how could anybody not side with Israel? And so they feel like I'm not telling them something, that I'm leaving something out. And I get it. Like when the media is telling you one thing, when social media friends are telling you, you know, Israel bad, they're like, well, what what, what piece of this puzzle am I missing? How can the media, why did the government give Iran so much money? Um, how do people become sort of corrupted? And what's, what is... What do they even get out of it? Like, what does the media get out of not trying to understand their motivations for maybe not telling the whole truth? And maybe the best way, since we're since we're really short on time here, is for you to just list a couple of resources for people to start when they when they're like, I just want to know the truth. Where can I start to learn and not be confused by all these conflicting narratives that I'm hearing online? One of the best resources that I can give to everyone is GateStoneInstitute.com. Gatestone Institute, uh, spelled exactly like it sounds, .com. It is a new source. Uh, it has a, um, .org, I'm sorry, gatestoneinstitute.org.org. Um, it's a new source that has many different, um, what they call Gatestone Fellows. I happen to know some of them, wonderful people. They are Arab Muslim, they are Arab Christian, they're Israeli Jewish, they're, they're different ethnicities, um, including 
Arab Palestinians who write, who are journalists, who are authors, and they will give you information about the region that I guarantee you much what the mainstream media will not do, the nuances and all those other types of things, so that you can really understand, right, uh, about what's happening. Those who want to go uh, do, do a deeper dive there. Um, in terms of the media itself, what I've heard from Arab journalists themselves is that, Connie, it is a media and it is a, it is a, and it is a money game. Khaled Abu Tuame, Khaled Abu Tuame, he's one of the uh, uh, the journalists there on Gatestone Institute, and he's also, I mean, he's award-winning, he's been doing this for decades. He told us a story, he's been speaking to different people, he speaks to leaders and diplomats and everything like that, we've had a chance of going over to Israel and speaking with him. One thing he's talked about, when he was a young journalist, uh, he was employed by Yasser Arafat's press corps, basically, right? You go and you write and everything, and Khaled, he had the problem, well, he's like a Connie, he's a problem, he, he tell the truth and he wanted to know stuff from you, right? So he'd go out there and really report on stuff, right? He, they wanted to file reports about Israel is the demon and Israel is right. Yeah. So there was conflicts and stuff he reported on, but he would also watch how Fatah would arrest people, torture people, not give them any rights, no voting rights. So he would actually write on that stuff. They're like, going, dude, you don't understand what your job is. You're not supposed to be doing that, right? So what he found was that as long as he was filing stories that had nothing to do with how the Palestinian leaders treated them, their own people, CNN, MSNBC, and they were all come on our show, right? They would talk about as long as he wasn't telling what was actually happening, right? Mm. But when he would report on, okay, here are the Palestinian human rights abuses by the Fatah, the Hamas, but they, all of a sudden his phone stopped ringing. So one answer to your question, Connie, is just economics. If I'm trying to feed my family and I know I filed this story and it's not going to get picked up and I might get tongue glass, I might get fired, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to find whatever the laser reporting. Laser reporting, Connie, is... Hamas fires thousands of rockets over a period of several months. Israel finally strikes back. Oh, my God. Top, stop the presses. We're going to start the story with the second part of the story. Israel has just bombed X in Gaza, right? And that gets put on the headlines. And then, boom, it gets the clicks. It gets the likes. It gets, uh, and I'll say this last part, Connie, for the people to understand this, and they may not be able to, I, I, I swear I'm being honest with you. Anti-Semitism, ladies and gentlemen, is the oldest hatred in the world. It goes back to the Bible. It goes back. And I'm not, for those of you who are not religious, I'm not trying to make you religious. I'm just trying to be as real with you as I can, right? When the Pharaoh of Egypt decided there were too many Hebrews, he needs to start to exterminate them. That was the first Holocaust pogrom, right? It was the first time you heard an ethnic group of people that are going to be wiped out because, not because they did something, not because they said something, but because of who they were, right? And this is a, a biblical proportions, if you will, right? And I tell people, unless you really understand that, whether you consider yourself spiritual or not, you'll never be able to wrap your brain around the fact that Jew hatred will morph into all kinds of things, right? Before the state of Israel was reborn, the Nazi says the Jews don't belong here, kill them. Now that Israel is reborn, the Arab Nazis like the Hamas say the Jews don't belong here. Let's kill them. If you're a Jew, so I get killed in Poland. I get killed in South America. I get killed in Israel. You see the picture? The picture is that here's this message is being sent to you. You should not exist. Mm -hmm. Right. And as those who don't believe it, watch this. Iran, if Iran is so focused on free, free Palestine, why is it a global terrorist power? Seriously. I mean, if their mm -hmm. focus is to help Hamas free Palestine, why is Hezbollah in South America, North America, all over Africa? Clearly, this is not just about, quote unquote, Palestine, right? right? And their commitment, Connie, those who don't know it, uh, Hamas's own charter is not just a commitment to, quote unquote, free Palestine. They have a commitment to destroy worldwide Jewry. What? 
So wait a minute. I thought you wanted Palestine. No, you want Jews gone. Unless people can really understand that, they'll never understand both the nature of anti-Semitism and what this actual fight is in the Middle East. Ah, Pastor, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for, we could, you know, go on for another hour, but I just thank you for giving me the time and what is a very busy time for you and folks that are in your, in this movement, in this area of work. So thank you for all you do. And I hope that this episode is enlightening for our listeners. Thank you, Connie. Thanks for having me. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast. Free.